my name is Blake, and I'm the youth intern here at Crestview, which means that I get to work over in that building over there with all of the junior high and senior high students who go here, and it is awesome. I super love my job. It is a really, I'm just astonished that it's actually my job to get to go work with those guys. Um, it's always a party in there, always loud. We pretty often break stuff, you know. It's just crazy. It's so fun, and I love it so much. There's awesome energy. So, um... If you're new to Crestview, this summer we've been going through Philippians, and so um, just to kind of catch you up where we're at, um, Philippians is a letter in the New Testament, and it was written from Paul to the church at Philippi, and it's what's called a prison epistle, which means that Paul wrote it while he's in prison. So Paul's in Rome, and he's in prison, and he hears about some problems that are happening in the church of Philippi, where their leaders are not getting along, and they're kind of buttonheads. And so um, Paul writes this letter to encourage him and also to kind of give some direction for where they're going with that. So in chapter 1 of Philippians, we see um, Paul gives thanks to them and he prays for them. And he just lets them know that they, that they are doing well. Like despite all the problems that are happening, the church at Philippi was a really solid church. So he encourages them and lets them know that they're doing a good job. And then we also get from chapter 1 that Paul seems like he is assuming that he's going to die. So Roman prison is not like prison today, and Roman prison was just really, really awful. They were brutal to people, and so when Paul was in prison and he was in Rome, he just assumed, he was like, yeah, I'm probably going to die here, but it's okay, because he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he says, to live is Christ, meaning that if they don't kill me, it's cool because I get to continue my ministry, and to die is gain. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus, and that's pretty cool. So then he moves on to chapter 2. And he gives some direction for the leaders there. In chapter 2, he talks a lot about humility. And humility is so important in dealing with leadership and dealing with other people and dealing with other people who believe different things than you. And humility is just absolutely crucial to all of that. So he outlines that and he gives this absolutely awesome hymn in there that's about Jesus and about Jesus' humility. Um, he talks about how Jesus was God himself. God himself came down, became human, and not only was human, but he didn't blow trumpets everywhere he went. He didn't order people around to get him everything that he needed. He was humble and he served other people. The God of the universe washed the disciples' nasty, stanky, smelly feet. I think that is so cool. So he has this gorgeous hymn about it. And then um, last week we talked about how um, we're supposed to live above reproach. And Devin talked about his favorite verse, which was, Do everything without grumbling and complaining which is just a rough verse. That verse is so hard, especially, so I just turned 21, so I had to go to the DMV to get my license, and that is the worst. The DMV is the worst, but I, oh man, being at the DMV and not grumbling and complaining was just really hard. So um, we talked about that last week, living above reproach, and so now we are up to um, chapter three, and I'm going to read for you the passage that we're going to be in, but if you want to turn with me, if you want to turn on your Bibles or flip open your Bibles, that'd be awesome. If you don't want to be distracted by Clash Royale or Twitter or ESPN or Facebook, whatever it is, um, we have provided uh, some Bibles at the entrances for you guys. You can go grab those right now. Those are for you to use. Please don't be shy and go grab those um, if you need it. But right now, starting in chapter 3, I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be focusing on today. 
Further, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write to you the same things again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever regains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, and being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I offer this time to you. This is your time, and I ask that you would do with it what you will. Um, I also ask that during this time that it would be your words that are spoken and not my own, and that if there is anything that is of me and not of you, God, that it would just be gone. Um, Lord, I love you so much, and we offer this time to you as a time of worship. And in your name I pray, amen. So, before we begin, i got to confess, um, Matt Chandler is a very, very cool dude. He planted, or he is a pastor at a church down in Dallas, and I think he's just the most solid dude ever, and he's really cool. And so, if you are ever surfing the internet and you decide to watch a Matt Chandler sermon, and it is shockingly similar to this one, it's because I didn't steal, I modified his sermon to fit our needs. So, um, thank you, Matt Chandler. If you're watching this and you're ever in MHK, you should hit me up. We should go get coffee. Um, I think I just asked a dude out, but that's fine. It's whatever. Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, verses three, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Further, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, and who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So i got to give you some background to this. Um, for a while, in the, very early New, in the very early New Testament church, their theology was kind of up in the air because they didn't have a solid New Testament to go off of because it was still being written. So like Philippians is in our New Testament and Paul was still writing it. All those other letters, those, some of them still hadn't happened yet. So they couldn't say, we believe in this because it says in X book of the Bible. They just had to go off of the Old Testament and then what people had taught them um, thus far. So because of that, there was huge opportunities in the early church for false teachers to come in and kind of press their own agenda into the early church's theology. So what Paul is addressing right here is there are people who are diminishing the grace of Christ by saying that you need Jesus and X work. You need Jesus and something. So they wanted to be able to say like, okay, Jesus died on the cross, right? And so we're saved, but I also followed this law really well. So like Jesus saved me, but I mean, I also kind of saved me. Like Jesus had a cool part in it, but I mean, it's really me because I'm really good at not eating pork or whatever. So um, 
what they're doing is they're saying that you need Jesus and circumcision in this case. You need Jesus and the law. You need Jesus and dietary restrictions. And they're diminishing the grace of Christ by adding this checklist of things to do to um, add to the salvation process. So they're saying you need to do Jesus and XYZ and then you'll be good. But Paul is refuting them and he gets, he gets super heated. He calls them dogs and evildoers. Now, I think the word dog is kind of diminished because we call people dog all the time. I call people dog all the time. I'm like, what up, dog? How are you doing? Like, it's become a term of endearment. And so, like, man, I call people dog all the time. My friend in college, his name is John Dog, and I think he's really cool. Um, we also have three people who I call dog in the youth group. There's Logan and Brogan, and I call them Log Dog and Brog Dog. And then there's also, um, there's a girl named Katarina, and everyone calls her Cat, so I call her Cat Dog. And... Um, <laughs> So we've kind of diminished this, but Paul is calling them out, and not only calling them out, but calling them names. He calls them dogs and evildoers. He's saying, you are doing evil by diminishing the grace of Christ and by pressing your own agenda, and you are misleading the church. So he goes on to say, um, uh, in verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So, the, so they were wanting to put confidence in their flesh throughout, through the checklist of achievements that they added to the salvation process. So he says, if anything else, or, or if any, or, all right, restart. <laughs> if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, Faultless. So he's saying, you're trying to add this checklist of things, and I'm telling you no. And that's not just because I don't want to do them. I've already done them. He says, if anyone has reasons for confidence in the flesh, it's me. So he goes down this whole list of churchy achievements. So he starts with his heritage. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. So he's saying, not only have I been super righteous and held to the law, but my ancestors have. My parents raised me correctly. They circumcised me on the eighth day just as they're supposed to, and we've been righteous all the way back to Benjamin. He's calling on his heritage. So then he moves on from that. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's as Jewish as it gets, in regard to the law of Pharisee. So Paul is low-key being humble right here. He says he was a Pharisee, but what you got to know about Paul is not only was he a Pharisee, which was a teacher of the law back then, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin. They were like the top dogs of the Pharisees. So not only was he a leader, but he was a leader of the leaders. And so when he says a Pharisee, as in regard to the law of Pharisee, he wasn't just a teacher of the law. He taught the people who taught the law. He was like, he was like a professor at MCC. Like they teach the people who teach. And so um, he says, as in regard to the law of Pharisee, he's saying, I know my stuff. I'm the one who teaches. I know what's going on in the law. And he moves on and he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. So Paul is a very passionate, very zealous person. He's one of those people where every time I picture him, he has crazy eyes. Like, you know, there are those certain people where you look at him and they're like, and you're like, Ugh. you don't want to make eye contact because they're just intense people. And I definitely see Paul as one of those people. He is a passionate dude. And if you get him, if you get him hooked on something, he is for it. So unfortunately, before he met Christ, his, his goal and his number one priority was killing Christians. Um, 
He saw them as blasphemers and he saw them as kind of like a mutation of Judaism that was unhealthy. So he made it his goal to kill every single, to either kill or put in prison every single Christian he could get his hands on. So as for zeal persecuting the church, he was like, he was like a dog on a bone. He just would not stop. And it was on his way to persecute Christian. He was, he was hunting down Christians when God knocked him on his butt and said, nah, you're going to follow me. I think that's super cool. So, um, as for zeal persecuting the church, he went as far as to kill people because of how passionate and zealous he was for the law. And he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, I have done everything right. I've never eaten bacon, which is just so sad. I've never, I've never done anything on the Sabbath. I just lay on my couch. I always celebrate all the festivals. I always do the sacrifices exactly the way I'm supposed to. But this is kind of lost on us on the 21st century, so I'm going to kind of translate it. He says, I have been to church every single Sunday since I was born. I even have keys to the church. I'm here all the time. I... Um, no, every single song on Caleb. And not only can I say all the words, I can play them all on the acoustic guitar, because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. And not only do I know all the songs on Caleb, I can sing oceans forwards, backwards, and in Spanish. <laughs> I have never cussed in my whole life, never said a curse word, except for the Christianese curse words like crud or gee dang it, stuff like that. I have never cursed. I've never disciplined my children out of anger. I've never not tithed. I've done everything correct. And what he says he moves on in verses seven and eight. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So what he's saying is, who cares? Who cares if you've been to church every single week um, since you've been born? Who cares if you can sing all the Caleb songs? Who cares if you tithe every week? Who cares if you have all these things? If you are not pursuing a relationship with Christ, they are nothing. They are worthless. They are without a point. They are trash. So what he's saying is, if you, are, if you are going to church just to go to church, it's pointless. If you are listening to Caleb just to know the songs, it's pointless. If you are tithing just so you can look good at church, it's pointless. The point of all those things is relationship with God. They should all point you and funnel you to a relationship with God. He says they, it, he says they pale in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That word knowing is so important. Um, it's derived from the word gnosko in Greek, which um, kind of has a emphasis of knowledge through experience. So um, do we have any Spanish speakers in here or anyone who kind of knows Spanish? Like I took two years of Spanish. Um, so in Spanish, there's two different ways to say the word no, K-N-O-W, to say the word no. And the first one is um, saber. And saber is like a no, like knowledge. So I know English, and I know that there are 50 states, and I know math, kind of. I had to take Algebra 2 twice, but I kind of know math. And um, conocer is a very relational knowledge. So, like, I know people in the youth group. I know Natalie. I know Josh, and I know that Josh one time accidentally got stuck in a baby swing, but I know that because we have had a relationship with each other, and I know him. I know, I know the people in my youth group, and I know it makes them tick, and I know their funny stories, and I know it makes them laugh, and I know it gets them excited. So I know them because I have experienced them. It's the same way with um, Gnosko. It's a knowledge through experience. 
So um, what he's saying is all of those things, those churchy accomplishments, they're worth nothing unless they're heading towards a relationship and knowledge through experience, a knowledge and a love of Jesus Christ. So love is the main goal of being a Christian. Love is our number one priority, our main goal, the absolute tip top of the totem pole. Love is our main goal and love of God is the main goal even past that. If you don't believe me, um, in Matthew, someone comes up to Matthew 22, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And right off the bat, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I think that this is the first and greatest commandment because if we nail that one, all of the other stuff will fall into place. So if our hearts are totally centered on God, if we are always looking and pursuing relationship with God, all of the other things will fall into place. Um, Paul expands on that idea in verse 9. nine. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So what he's saying right here is instead of striving to have a righteousness of our own, instead of striving to have a righteousness that's a list of churchy accomplishments, like going to church and listening to Caleb and all that, instead of having a righteousness that's from that checklist, have a righteousness that comes from God, that comes just from pursuing God. Because if we, if we pursue God and look for God and love God, then we won't worry about the churchy righteousness and we will gain a righteousness that is not of ourselves, but is from God, a true righteousness. So pursuing God, pursuing love of God is our top priority. Because if we love God with everything that we are, if we love God with the depths of our soul and who we are to the fundamentals, then when we look around us and see brokenness, then our hearts will break because God's heart breaks for those people. If we love God with absolutely everything that we are, and we only focus on loving Him, then our, our disciplines, reading, praying, fasting, tithing, all of those, those will be so much easier because we will be pumped that we get to read the Bible because we get to learn more about the one who literally makes our world go round. We get to, um, when we think about praying, we will be excited because we get to spend time with the one who we love and who loves us. We will get to spend time with our most loved being ever. And, um, when we, when we are pursuing just love for God, when we tithe, we will be happy to make that sacrifice for God because we know he deserves it more than we ever do and that it's his to begin with. Um, it's kind of the same thing. If you're trying to lose weight, the best thing to do is not to sit on a couch and stare at a bowl of M&Ms going, I'm not going to eat those. Don't, don't eat those. I'm not going to eat those. And that, that's pointless. You're going to eat them. I promise. You'll, if you sit there long enough, you're going to eat the M&Ms. The, what you need to do if you're going to lose weight, forget about the M&Ms and go run. Or go outside and be active. Go do something. It's the same way. If we're staring at our sin and if we're staring at our list of churchy accomplishments saying, do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. You're going to mess one of them up eventually. But if we are focused on God, if he is our one focus, then all of the other things will fall into place. Paul expands on it further in Colossians 3. He says, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not things that are on the earth. So we're supposed to set our mind on the things that are above, set our mind on Christ, and set our mind not on our sin, which is of the earth, but set our mind on Christ, and the other things will fall into place. It's like that song, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It gives me the vision of like, if you think of a horse and they put the little blinders on them, it's so that they won't look around and get distracted and go see other things. In the same way that they put the blinders on the horses, we should have the same blinders for God. Put blinders on God so that he is the one thing we are pursuing. Relationship and love for God is the one thing we are pursuing so that all of the other things will fall into place. Because when we love God, a true, passionate love for God will eventually end up with action. So what are the things that make you fall in deep, desperate love with Jesus Christ? What are the things that you look at and it just makes you want to hit your knees and go, God, you are awesome. What are the things that make you fall madly in love with God and never want to leave his side? Um, So there are some cards up in front of you and there are some pins. And what I want you to do with those cards and pins is... um, You're going to write on the front of your card things that stir your affection for Christ. Things that um, make you fall madly in love with him. For me, um, being the youth pastor that I am, I love it when my kids get up and step out and serve. I love it when I see um, the kids at youth group ministering to each other or worshiping fully or getting out and leading. That seriously pumps me up and makes me just want to hit my knees right there and worship God. Um, another thing, pretty much anything about the sky drives me insane. I love the sky. Um, I just find God incredibly powerful in the sky, especially in Kansas because it's so flat. It just seems so huge. But um, so <laughs> the other day, I almost got in a wreck because I was so distracted by a sunset. I was driving by uh, Lake Elbow, and you go up this big old hill, and then it just opened up, and there was a gorgeous sunset right there. And I was so distracted. I was not watching the road and I ran off the road and was like, and like came back on. And I thank God for not killing me then. But, um, the sunset just drives me insane. I love, love, love sunsets. My friend Jordan, um, he is just, (laughs) he's just a happy dude. He's also a happy crier. And so, um, one time we got, Uh, stranded in the middle of Colorado. We were in the middle of the mountains. It was nighttime. We were heading to a campground and then our car decided to give out. So we stopped by the side of the road, tried to figure it out. And then Jordan looks up and sees the stars and starts crying because they're so beautiful. And so that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. What are the things that make you want to cry because you just love God so much? What stirs your affections for God? On the back of the card, you're going to write things um, that quench your love for God. So if your love for God is a fire, what pours water all over that uh, love fire? (laughs) Um, So for me, there are certain sins in my life where if I am living in them, then I just can't seem to get traction with anything I do that's spiritual. So sermons won't come together well. I won't be motivated to do my disciplines. I won't be motivated to read and pray. I will have a hard time talking to students. All of those things are wrapped around. If I, if I am doing this one sin, then everything is off. That is one of the things that just quench my love for God. Um, 
Another one that's a little bit less severe, if I'm too lazy, then I cannot seem to find love for God. So if I sleep in too late, or if I dink around on my computer too much, or if I just am not doing anything all day, then I cannot motivate myself to go out and love God in the way I should. So I know now that I'm supposed to, I have to get up and do something. Otherwise, my whole day will be in a funk and I won't be able to connect with God. So on the front of your card, you're going to write what um, stirs your affections for Christ. And then on the back of the card, you're going to write things that quench your love for Christ. And what I'm going to do, what I want you guys to do is keep your card, put it in your pocket, and then... um, Put it somewhere where you can see it and keep a running list. If you find something new that drives you crazy about God and you say, man, I love this about God, write it on the list and then put it where you can see it. And I want you guys to seek after the things that stir your affection for God. Because when we look after those things, when we follow those things and we just pursue loving God with everything that we are, we will become transformed beings and we will be able to bring in his kingdom in a way that's not just holier than thou religiousness. That's not just a set of rules and behavior modification, but we will be able to bring in the kingdom of heaven in a way that is true righteousness and true love for other people. Let's pray. God, I love you, and um, I just thank you so much for our time here, and I ask that during these next few minutes as we write on our cards that we would be able to really focus on you, that we'd be able to search our souls for the things that, that drive us crazy about you, God. We want to be madly in love with you, and it's your name I pray. Amen.